0: Well, good morning again, church. If you are glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning, say amen. Amen. And get used to saying amen, because you guys have heard me preach before. And you know I'm going to keep you awake by making you say that from time to time. So, glad to be able to bring you the Word of God this morning. I uh, I always regret when Josh is not able to be here. And you guys know uh, that he regrets not being able to be here as well. uh, Because he loves bringing the Word of God. He loves worshiping with his church family of course, uh, if you don't know, those of you who may be visiting, our senior pastor, Josh Green, is not with us this morning because uh, his grandfather passed away earlier this week, and, and Josh delivered the funeral yesterday afternoon, and, and he and Val and the boys and, and Carolina are in uh, North Carolina with his family, and they'll be returning either today or tomorrow. So I encourage you to pray for Josh and, and for Val, and also pray for um, Josh's grandmother. Someone was sharing with me this morning that they were married or they were together for 60-something years. And in our youth Sunday school, we are talking about uh, marriage and family and God's design for the family. And I told our young people this morning, I told our guys, that's how you do it. That's how you do it right there. So what a tremendous testimony. And so pray for that family as they're uh, dealing with the loss of, of his grandmother and for Josh and Val as they travel back. I want to encourage you to go ahead and take the word of God this morning and be turning to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, our text today will be verses 2 through 9. Bit of a quick turnaround, uh, for my sermon prep. Usually have a little bit longer to do so, but found out on Tuesday I'd be preaching. But here's the great thing about expository preaching. You don't have to go study context if you've already been in the context. And we've been in the context of the book of Exodus for the last few weeks, and God is blessing that study in the life of our church, and I'm, I hope He's blessing you individually with that. And so uh, we don't have to go back and study what the book of Exodus is about before chapter 6. We already know. Uh, if you've been awake and you've been paying attention, you've been alert and you've been praying over it, you know exactly where we are in the text, in the life of Moses, in the life of the people of Israel. And so we are able to go right along and move right along where where Josh is and where Josh was. And next week he will pick up with Exodus chapter 6 verse 10 and we'll just keep on going. Amen. Now, this is what we know. Having studied the book of Exodus to this point, we've seen God's plan for Moses' life up until now. We we know that Moses uh, was born... Well, first of all, we saw how God made provision for the people of Israel by having them in Egypt during the great famine and how he provided for them. And we saw how... They The numbers continued to grow and to grow and to grow and the the Egyptian leaders saw that there were quickly becoming more Israelites, more Hebrew people than there were Egyptians. And so they put them under bondage. They made them their slaves. And so now the people, God's chosen people, the Hebrew people were in bondage in Egypt. And we see how God had a plan because that's what He does when He makes a covenant. He has a plan to deliver them. And so Moses was born and Moses was protected. He was put in a basket and floated down the Nile. And he was able to be found by the servants in Pharaoh's home and was raised in Pharaoh's home. And and, and God allowed him to enjoy privilege. But then uh, he found out about his Hebrew heritage and and through that... uh, he killed an Egyptian taskmaster. Remember the story. And, and because of that, he fled Egypt. He ended up going to Midian. And while he was in Midian, he met his wife, Zipporah. And he became a, a shepherd, a sheep herder. And everything's going well. And then we get to Exodus chapter 3 and we see what? We see the burning bush, right? Where God reveals Himself to Moses in the image of a burning bush, in an actual flaming bush. And said to Moses, the first reminder of the Abrahamic covenant... God of your father. He said, he bravely said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he revealed to Moses that I'm going to use you, Moses. I'm going to do great things through you. You're going to be my instrument. And through you, I'm going to help deliver the, my people from bondage in Egypt. And everything started out well. Moses had some doubts and he expressed some fears and God sent Moses to be alongside and to help. Uh, sent Aaron to be along beside Moses and to help him. And, and so everything started out well. At the end of chapter 4 of Exodus, we see the people of God, the Hebrews, after hearing Moses' report, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, that they had seen their affliction said that they bowed low and they worshipped. And so everything was going terrific, right? But it didn't take long because right after that, Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, Let my people go. We talked about this last week. In Exodus chapter, five, Exodus chapter 5, so that they may go into the desert, into the wilderness, and that they may worship me. And Pharaoh said, uh, that's not going to happen. You must not have enough to do. Uh, I'm going to take away the straw by which you make brick to make your labor harder, so that you will work harder, so you will be able to fill your time with work instead of these foolish notions of worshiping a Hebrew God. And when the Hebrew people saw that their task was harder and more difficult, they began to grumble and they began to complain and they began to, to doubt what Moses had brought them. The reminder that Moses had given them in Exodus chapter 4 about the covenant, they began to doubt it again. How are we going to do this? This is going to be more difficult than what we thought. And we saw how the people of Moses immediately abandoned their hope in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 5. And even at the end of chapter 5, Verses 22 and 23, we see Moses himself questioning God. Every week in Superchurch downstairs, while you guys are up here doing our worship at 6 o'clock on Sunday evenings, every week I'm taking our children slowly and deliberately through, I think I may have told you this before, slowly and deliberately through the children's storybook Bible. And those of you who know anything about the Children's Storybook Bible, it has a heavy emphasis on biblical theology, which is proving how the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is always the same God that we worship today and, and how He used the people of Israel and brought up the people of Israel as His chosen people and, and how we can see the covenant relationship between God and His people in Israel and the covenant relationship that He builds with us through Christ Jesus. And we've been teaching all that. And this is the one phrase that I say every single week. I see David over here. Kara's right there. Others, Dana's right here. If I were to pull them up here, they would say this. Because I repeat this every week. God is a... And they say, promise keeper. Now, let's try this together. Let's see if you guys are as good as the kids. Alright? God is a... One more time. God is a... Promise keeper. And that's if we would remember that, do you know how much trouble we'd have in our lives? Do you know how much trouble the, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people in bondage, would have saved themselves if they had remembered the covenant that God had made with Abraham and remembered that God's a promise keeper, and if they clung to that promise, instead, at the first sign of trouble, what did they do? They began to grumble. They complained. They began to turn aside from that. And we're at one of those moments here in the book of Exodus. At the end of Exodus chapter 5, at the beginning of Exodus chapter 6, chapter 6 verse 1 states, And the Lord says to Moses, Now you will see. It's the last verse that we talked about with Josh last week. Now you'll see. You're at the moment. The people were, were doubting, Moses was questioning, and now God says to Moses, now you will see how I'm going to accomplish this. And what follows is a deeper revelation of the person and the characteristics of God, and a deeper explanation of how He has already predetermined and made plans to deliver His people. If you will, I encourage you to stand with me at this time. In reverence to the reading of God's Word, let's stand together and read Exodus chapter 6. I'm going to include verse 1 for context and we'll read down through verse 9. If you're ready for the Word of God, say Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. And God further spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel... They did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this text in exactly the way that you meant for it to be understood. Father, I pray that we will uh, interpret it rightly. I pray that I will speak it correctly. I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice, whether it be someone in this room right now or listening on the internet, will hear it the right way. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and Father, I pray that you will change lives today for your great glory as we study your covenant love for the people of Israel. Help us to understand the importance of those things that have passed, the importance of those things that you have promised, and what our responsibility is in that. We want you to receive all the glory from our time together this morning, and it is in Jesus Christ's holy name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's begin our time this morning by looking and recognizing the most important phrase in all of this text. It's found in verse 2. It's found again in verse 6. It's found again in verse 8. In verse 2, after saying, I'm going to compel Pharaoh to let you go, I'm going to cause... Pharaoh to let you go. It's not because Pharaoh's going to want to let you go. It's not because you're going to convince Pharaoh to let you go. It's because under my compulsion, I'm going to convince Pharaoh. Under my compulsion, I'm going to lead him to release the people of Israel. And after saying that, God qualifies why He's able to do that with this phrase. I am the Lord. Now, that word Lord, when you see it in your Bible, it may also be... Examine there in the word Jehovah. That is the Hebrew word that you guys studied when we studied Exodus chapter 3 a few weeks ago. It's the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's used over 6,800 times in the Bible, primarily in the Old Testament. Like I said, it showed up in Exodus chapter 3 when God revealed Moses, uh, revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. He said, I am who I am. That word I am is translated Yahweh. That name is derived from a Hebrew word, which means to be. It means to be. It gives the idea of one who simply is. And we know this about God, right? We know this about God from the very beginning. In the beginning, God. And there are many names for God in the Bible. But this name Yahweh means I am. That He just is. That He has existed. He was the first. And all things exist through Him and by Him and for Him. That is the God of Israel that he is revealing to himself here in this passage. Ken Hemphill, who's a former professor at Southern Seminary where I work, said that all things were caused by God, but listen, he is the uncaused one. All things were caused by God, but he is the uncaused one. Now think about this perspective of who God is, and think about this perspective into what he's revealed to himself uh, to the people of Israel. In Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15, in Genesis chapter 17, he's made promises to the people of Israel. You will be my people, I will be your God. I'm going to establish you as a great nation. And he's telling them these things. And and, and to the Israelite who's hearing this, to Moses who's hearing this, to the Hebrew who's hearing this, he's thinking, that great God, the God who has existed from the very beginning, the God who is, is the one who's making a covenant with me. And to the Hebrew, when when they use that way, Yahweh, that is a, a reverent name. Even to this day, that is a reverent name to a Jewish person, to a Hebrew person. It's the covenantal name that they use for God. Jennifer and I, we had an opportunity. You, I can't remember which stories I've told up here because I'm getting old. So if you've heard this story, you're getting ready to hear it again. Uh, Jennifer and I had the opportunity to plant church in Chicago. And uh, the thing about church plan is you don't have a facility like this that you can meet in. And so we had to meet in various places. And those of you, some of these guys who went on the trip with us last year to Chicago got to see this. Uh, we had to meet, the very first place that we met was in a Messianic Jewish synagogue named Devar Emet. Devar Emet. And uh, they would meet on Saturdays. By the way, a Messianic Jew is a Jew that's been saved. A Messianic Jew is is a Jew who, though he maintains his heritage and he maintains many of the aspects of his culture. A Messianic Jew is someone who has realized that Yeshua, Jesus, is indeed the promised Messiah and has surrendered his life to him. They have become born again. They are Christ followers, but yet they maintain their Jewish heritage so that they can reach other Jewish people. And so they would meet on Saturdays. That was when they celebrated their Sabbath. And they would come in and they would have... Jewish ceremonies, Just they had the big, I don't even know what this is called in Hebrew language, but they would have the big desk up here and they would take the scrolls out from back here and they would roll the scrolls out. It was really a unique thing to see because they kept their Jewish culture, but when they preached, they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and they typically taught it from the Old Testament. Why? Because they were trying to reach other Jews in the community that we were in. We were in a highly Jewish community. Well, we would meet on Sunday mornings because, as we know, this is when... Christians celebrate our Sabbath. And so we met on Sunday morning and we would come in and they had their material all over the place. And if you picked up some of the material from Devari Met, you would always see the word Yahweh written on their material, but you would never see the word Yahweh spelled out. They would drop the vowels from the word and it would only be YHWH. And the reason for this is, is this. They would look at the name Yahweh as so reverent and so holy, and so set apart, they wouldn't even speak it. They wouldn't even write it. That was the perspective that the Jews have of the God who's revealing Himself as Yahweh in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 6. I am who I am. I am the Lord. Your Bible may have it printed in all caps. L-O-R-D in all caps. Anytime in the Old Testament that you see L-O-R-D in all caps, it's a reference to God as Yahweh. Our pastor at our church in Chicago, when he reads the Old Testament, he only reads that word as Yahweh. He would have read this. He would have read chapter 2 this way. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. A reverent name, a covenantal name. And it's important because we need to understand this context because it shows up three times throughout this text. In verses 1-8, through eight, God is promising action. And Moses wasn't the one who's delivering this action. Yahweh, I am. The one who has existed before the beginning of time and through whom all exist is the covenant God. And this is what he's saying. This is important. The people of Israel were going to be delivered from the hand of the Egyptians by the one who simply is. He was in essence saying, you're going to experience me in a way that you've never experienced me before. Matthew Henry, Bible commentator, said God was going to perform what he had promised and perfect what he had already begun. God was getting ready to do something special. So he told Moses in introduction in verse 2, spoke further to Moses, said, I am the Lord. Now, understanding the context of this. Covenant promising, promise keeper, God. I want to point out three things that we need to note in Exodus chapter 2, verses two through uh, Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9. If you're ready for the word of God, say amen. amen. First thing to see in this text, in relation to this covenant making, promise keeping God, is the blessing of looking back. The blessing of looking back. After revealing himself as Yahweh, he said, And I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. Listen to me. Moses was being able to be encouraged. Moses was pretty discouraged. This was a pretty difficult point for Moses. Look back at the end of Exodus chapter 5. The very last words of Exodus chapter 5. Moses says, Oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done harm to his people. And you, listen, and you have not delivered your people at all. Do you sense Moses' frustration? Do you sense Moses' disappointment? What God is telling Moses here is, I'm Yahweh. I'm the one who spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am this historical God. Now listen, Moses did not grow up. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh, But he grew up around Hebrew people. He worked with Hebrew people for a time. He knew the Hebrew stories. He knew this God of the Hebrew people. And so when God revealed this to Moses, it probably welled up with Moses. And he was probably glad that this is the God. This is the covenant-making God that my people follow and that my people serve. First thing I want you to see in verse 3 is this. Yahweh discloses to Moses his faithfulness to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are the Hebrew patriarchs. And look what he did. He showed him different things. Now, listen, this is what Moses probably had to realize. As he is recognizing this God of Abraham and God of Isaac and God of Jacob, he, he probably remembered. Yes, Abram, Abram, when he was known then, before the, the covenant in, in, in Genesis 17, this is the one who God said, I'm going to make your family, your home, your, your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. He probably said, yes, this is the one who uh, made Sarah, who was barren and old and beyond childbearing years. This is the God who made her have a child, who is going to be the child of the covenant to begin the covenant promise. This is Yahweh. This is the God who had Joseph providentially sold into slavery so that he could be in Egypt and so that he could one day recognize his brothers coming for food and so that he could experience forgiveness with them and bring Jacob and his family to Egypt and provide for them in the midst of a severe uh, famine because that's what God promised to do. God promised to provide for them and to protect them. And Moses needed to be reminded of God's goodness to all of Israel. But yet then, even then... What the next part of that verse says is that Moses had not experienced God in the same way that they were preparing to experience. And look what it says. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, but by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And this is what that means. It means that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob followed God to the extent that they knew him to the extent that God had revealed Himself to them at that point. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I look to Marcus. You know, Marcus can do this much better than me because he studies Hebrew frequently in seminary. The word El Shaddai is the word that God frequently used early on with with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob to explain Himself. That word El Shaddai means all-sufficient or all-powerful one. And El Shaddai, as the Hebrew people would know him, demonstrated his provision and his care and his ability to fulfill the covenant he made with Abram in Genesis. He made him a great nation by causing his old barren wife to have a child. He was capable of sustaining the nation by having them. sold Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt where he'd eventually gain favor in the kingdom and be able to help them to, to be fed. But God had appeared to those earlier patriarchs under one name and revealing one set of characteristics of himself and now he's beginning to unveil more of his characteristics, more of his character, more of his personhood in a way that no one had ever known before. And those earlier Hebrew patriarchs had believed upon God to the extent of their knowledge, but now he's revealing himself in a deeper way. He's revealing himself as Yahweh, as I am, as one who remembers his promises and who keeps his promises. And this had to be an encouragement to Moses to be able to look back at that. Next thing under looking back would be God reminding Moses that the covenant that he established between Israel and himself was his covenant. Look at verse 4. After saying, by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. It says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land. Of Canaan. Flip back a few chapters, a few pages, if you will, to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Just read a little bit about what God had promised to Abram. Actually, Abram's name has changed to Abraham, I believe, in this passage as well. Something that Moses could look back on and realize the greatness and the provision and the love of God. The covenant promise-keeping of God. Now, when uh Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant. Notice, my covenant. Listen to me. The covenant with Israel did not begin with Israel. Listen to me. The covenant began with God. Any covenant that we see in Scripture is initiated by God. He said, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish, again, my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings All the land of Canaan. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 4, God is reminding Moses of that covenant right there. The covenant that God initiated. Let me tell you something. If you ever want to get discouraged about your salvation, if you ever want to get discouraged about your relationship, if you ever want to get discouraged with the way your life is going, but yet you're a born-again believer, let me tell you something. Turn to the covenant made through God, through the blood of Christ, initiated by God, by which you're saved. See Moses reminded, was reminded at this point that this covenant, this covenant that I've made with Israel was initiated by me, and how much greater encouragement could he receive than knowing that this covenant that God is talking about was initiated by God? Third thing, in this passage, beginning in verse five. Furthermore, I've heard the groanings of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and again I have remembered, and again my Covenant. God revealed he had heard the groanings of the people. They think I haven't heard, but I've heard. They think I don't know, but I do. I've heard their groanings. I know that they're in bondage. And see, this covenant was not only corporate, but it was personal. I hear them. They're my people. And notice how all these blessings build off one another. The God of Israel was not only El Shaddai, the all-powerful one, but he was also Yahweh, the great I Am. And this great Almighty God established the covenant with Israel to begin with, and now He's remembering His covenant in light of their sufferings. His covenant people. Listen to me, church. Looking back on the blessings that God has allowed you to experience can give you tremendous hope for the future. Looking back on the things that God has done for you, the way that God has provided for you, the way that God has ministered to you, the way that God has done merciful, wonderful things for you and blessed you and the way that He's walked you through the darkest times of your life will be a blessing to you. Whenever times are tough, don't be afraid to turn around and look back. Don't be afraid to contemplate what God has done in your life. One of the reasons the Bible's replete with so many examples of God's power and His majesty and His provision is to encourage followers of God. To encourage you and me that those who He makes a covenant with, He does not forget. The great I Am knows He's helped us before. He helped Israel before. And for the believer in your life, this can be a tremendous blessing. If you're listening to me, say Amen. Second thing to note. First thing was the blessing of looking back. The second thing I want you to see with me is the importance of looking ahead. The importance of looking Ahead, there are seven I will statements, seven in verses six through eight that record the covenant assurances between God and his people. Let's look at them real quickly. Once again, at the beginning of verse six, God reminds Moses that he's Yahweh. I'm the covenant God. I am Yahweh. Therefore, I am the Lord. And then look at all the I will statements. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. And again, in verse 6, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Now, listen to me. What he was promising this. I see the burden. I know the yoke of oppression that you're going through. I'm not blind to it. I haven't forgotten it. I, I, I see it. And not only do I see the burden, but I'm going to take care of the burden. I'm going to bring you out from under this bondage. I'm going to bring you out from under this burden that you're under and not only am i going to do that but i'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty works now we we know because most of us know the book of exodus we know what's coming right we know that he is going to god is going to send the ten plagues that's going to convince pharaoh to let the people go to finally relinquish his control over the people we know that once they're relinquished Pharaoh's going to change his mind and he's going to send the army to chase after them and Moses is going to, with an outstretched arm, take the staff, put it over the Red Sea and the Red Sea's going to park and they're going to come through on dry land. We know this because we know Israel. we know that God is going to keep that promise because we have the Bible in completed version that we can read and know these things. Moses didn't have that. Moses didn't have that. So for Moses, this is looking ahead and he's listening to the covenant-making God, Yahweh, say, I'm going to bring... You out from this burden. I'm going to bring you out of bondage. And I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm. And this redemption from Israel meant that they were going to have a new master. Where they are in bondage in Egypt, they were under the tyranny of Pharaoh. They couldn't make their own decisions. They couldn't do their own things. They had a different master. Because the king of Egypt had usurped God as their master. It was the assurance of redemption. I'm going to redeem you from this problem. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, the Yahweh, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 7, it wasn't enough. See, it wasn't enough that God was just going to bring them out from under this burden. It wasn't enough that He was going to rescue them from this bondage. Now God's going to adopt them. Now God's going to make them His very own. Now God was going to stake His claim to them. Whereas now, while they're in bondage and under the burden of Pharaoh, Pharaoh's their master. But Yahweh says, no longer will that be the case. Now I will be your master. I will take you for My people. And I will be your God. He's looking ahead. He's allowing Moses to see ahead. Now Yahweh would be their undeniable master and the Hebrew people would know God was going to do it in such a way that they would know that it's this covenant-keeping, this covenant-making, promise-keeping God who did this. And this picture of adoption is wonderful. Amen? If you ever have known a family that's adopted, a child, some of you may be adopted, some of you may have adopted somebody else, this is one of the most terrific pictures of the gospel you'll ever see. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in just a minute. Because when someone's adopted, listen to me. They're brought in and made a part of the family. They're brought in and made one with all the rest of the of the family. And what God was saying is, I'm going to bring them in, I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to be your God. He was allowing Moses to be encouraged by the fact that these promises are yours and for your people. The chosen people of mine. Verse 8 gives us gives Moses the assurance of provision. Not only am I going to redeem you. Not only am I going to adopt you. But I'm going to provide for you. Look what it says in verse 8. I will bring you to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. That looks back at Genesis chapter 17 verse 8 that we read just a moment ago. Not only am I going to redeem you, not only am I going to adopt you, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. That's what happens when someone is brought into the family. The master of the home makes provision for the one who's brought in. That's what he's going to do for his people. He's revealing this to them. This is, these are things that, to this point, they had not been revealed to the people of Israel. They were in bondage. They needed to know this. Yahweh was, was telling them this right now. I'm going to make provision according to my covenant. The promises that I had made to Abram and his descendants in Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17. And now Yahweh was preparing to follow through. Moses needed to know this so that he could be encouraged. Moses needed to know this so that he can encourage the downtrodden and the defeated Hebrews who were getting beaten, who were having to search for straw, who were having to keep the same quota even though they didn't have the straw to make the bricks. Moses was going to be the one who delivered this to them to encourage them. I didn't want to pause here for just a second. I was reading this the other day. I was reminded if you look at that, the way that this verse plays out, chapter, I mean, verse 6 gave assurances of redemption. Verse 7 gave assurances of adoption. Verse 8 gave assurances of provision. Does that sound familiar? There are parallels there. The covenant that God made with the Hebrew people in Exodus is consistent with the covenant that God has made available to you and I through the blood of Christ. See, this is what happens. When the gospel message is shared and God moves on a person's conscience and they hear the Word of God and they recognize their state and sin and self and they turn away from that and they turn to God, this is what they experience. They experience redemption Adoption and provision. If you're here today and you're saved, you've experienced this. If you're truly born again of God, you've experienced this redemption, adoption, and the provision of God. And it sounds something like this. Look back through those I will statements and see if this sounds what, how God rescued you. He said in verse 6, I'm going to bring you out from a burden and deliver you from bondage and redeem you with an outstretched arm. See, this is what Christ has made available for you through his selfless act on the cross. In Him, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Him, meaning Christ, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. That's redemption. That's Him bringing you out of your bondage and out of your slavery. You are a slave to sin, but now you're made a child of God. That's what it talks about adoption. In verse 7, listen to the I will statements. I will take you for my people. I will be your God. This is the picture of adoption. I worked with Dr. Randy Sensen at the seminary. Dr. Simpson has eight children. Eight children. Three of those were born biologically. Five of those were adopted from all over the world. And I can tell you because I know him, those five children who are adopted have all the same rights and all the same blessings and all the same provisions as those children who belong to him. Why? Because that's what happens when you're adopted. You're brought into that family. You're taken care of. You're provided for. You're grafted in. You're one of them now. And those kids who belong to Dr. Stinson, they're all the Stinson family now. They all belong to him. They're no longer orphans, but they're adopted children, and so are you. If you're here today, and you've been born again, and God has saved you from your sin, you have been grafted into the family of God, you are called a child of God. Romans chapter 8 says, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. If you listen to me, say amen. If you are here today and you are a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you've surrendered to Him, you've been made a new person, you've become a child of God, you are adopted, and that should give you hope. That should give you hope. The people of Israel, though they were looking ahead, they're looking ahead because this had not they have not known this yet. This is not known to them. God is revealing something new to them. But that promise of being adopted, of being brought in, is just the same for you and I in salvation. Thirdly, look at verse eight. The assurance of provision. I will bring you to the land that was promised, and I will give it to you for a possession. It's a promise of a living hope. We have the promise of eternal life that awaits those who surrender his or her life to Christ. We'll be provided for because of our salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3, that I will go again. And when I go again, I'll come and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Listen to me, child of God. If you've been saved You've been provided for in the grandest of ways. You have eternity with the Savior. Because you've been redeemed and you've been adopted now you're being provided for. And this promise of the covenant between God and Israel is consistent with the covenant that God makes between you and I in salvation. And I can think of no greater joy. Amen? Why don't you turn with me real quick? I'm. I apologize for the turning so much. Nah, no, not really. <laughs> turn with me if you will to Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. What does this look like? Some of you may be sitting here today saying, "All right, I sort of kind of get it." We're talking about God and Israel, Yahweh and Israel. God's promised to redeem them. He's promised to adopt them. He's promised to be their God. He's promised to provide it for them. I get it. I sort of kind of understand what you're talking about. For those who are Christians, they've been redeemed. They've been forgiven. They've been adopted into the family of God. They're children of God. They're no longer enemies. But they belong to Him now. And God's providing for them. They have eternal hope and eternal future. I sort of kind of get that. But what does that look like? If I wanted that, how does that happen? I want to point to a few more I will statements. In Ezekiel chapter 36, now, for clarification, this is the Old Testament. This is prior to Christ. This is God bringing wayward Hebrew people back to Himself. This is Him redeeming them and bringing them back. But the same thing that He did for them there, He will do for you through the blood of Christ. The same thing happens. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 28. Beginning in verse 25, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Notice the I will statements there. That's what I want you to pay attention to. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your fathers. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Do you see redemption, adoption, and provision in those verses, in those "I will" statements? Only, everybody to look this way. The Bible makes it clear that we're all sinners. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Again, super church. I ask the kids, "What does that mean?" All, and they say, "All." Oh. I said, "Profound. We're all sinners." Furthermore, three chapters later in Romans chapter 6, the Bible says that the wages of that sin is death. The wages of our rebellion is the wrath of God. The punishment for our sin is eternal separation from God. It's the ability to not covenant with Him. It's the ability to not be bound together with Him. That's the punishment for our sins. And some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, then what hope do I have if I'm a sinner, if we're all sinners, but the wages of sin is death? Where's the hope? Where's the covenant? What are you talking about up there? Well, what I'm talking about is the second part of Romans 6.23. It says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth to live a blameless life. Because of that, because His life was without sin, He could become the propitiation, the substitute for our sin. You know what that means? That means that He willingly stepped in to your situation between you and the wrath of God to take the punishment of God on your behalf. The sins that you deserve to be punished for, He took on your behalf. He was a propitiation for that. And He died on a cross. It was His blood. We have redemption through His blood on the cross. The Bible says that He was buried. That three days later He rose. We know that He spent approximately 40 days With his disciples, he ascended into heaven. And right now, at this very moment, he's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for his people. Now, listen to me. The power of God that caused that to happen for the people of Israel, for the Hebrew people, to keep that covenant, to make a way for them to be redeemed, to make a way for them to be adopted, to make a way for them to be provided for, is available to you today. And He'll do exactly what He said He was going to do. In Ezekiel 36, He'll sprinkle water on you and make you clean. That's redemption. He'll cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. That's redemption. He'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. That's provision. He'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's provision. He'll put His spirit within you and cause you to walk in His statutes. That's provision. You will be His people and He will be your God. That is adoption. So, The same covenant that God, with the Israelites, kept the Israelites and promised the Israelites, because He's a promise-keeping God, and He would save them and He would deliver them through that covenant, can deliver you through the covenant that is available through the blood of Jesus Christ, if you'll just come to Him, if you'll just surrender to Him. And here's the deal. Listen to me. You're not good enough to earn it. You're not, you can't perform enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't be a good enough person. You can't do enough good deeds. It's entirely and totally by God's grace. Just like He showed unmerited favor to Abraham and to those descendants that kept falling away, He'll show unmerited favor to you, a rebel, an opponent. The grace of God and salvation. It's all God's grace. Charles Spurgeon, considering that name of God, Yahweh. Listen to what he said. Considering the name of God, Yahweh. It is a wonderful thing that God should ever enter into gracious covenant with men. That He should make man and be gracious to man is easily to be conceived. But that He should strike hands with His creature and put His august majesty under bond to Him by His own promise is marvelous. That God would show grace is one thing that God would bond us together with Him through the covenant of the blood of Christ, through a personal relationship with us, is amazing. The great I Am can be your personal Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. God's under no obligation to do this. But if we come to Him, we'll be sprinkled clean from our sin and put under a covenant with Him. If you listen to me, say amen. That sounds like a no-brainer. Amen? Well, why wouldn't I? It's like the person comes to, the salesman comes to your house and he's got this new product that's terrific and wonderful and everybody's buying it and he finishes his sales pitches. Why wouldn't you want to buy this? And we look at that and say, why wouldn't you want to come to Christ? Why wouldn't you want to be a Christ follower? Why wouldn't you want to be redeemed from your sin? Why wouldn't you want to be adopted into the family of God? Why wouldn't you want to be provided for by the grace of God? Verse nine gives us the answer. See, not only in Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9, do we see the blessing of looking back. And not only do we see the importance of looking ahead, but finally in verse 9, we see the danger of looking at yourself. The danger of looking at yourself. Look at verse 9. Back in Exodus chapter 6. So Moses, so Moses went and told him. God came and He shared, verses 1 through 8, He shared with Moses about Yahweh, what He's going to do for the people. He's going to act on their behalf. And so Moses went back to the people and He told them. Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. You'd think that the people would hear this and shout for joy. After all, at the end of Exodus chapter 4, they did, right? Right? At the end of Exodus chapter 4, Moses came back from Midian. And as he came back from Midian, he shared this with the people. And the very last verse of Exodus 4 says that they bowed low and they worshipped. And then they go through some hardship. They go through some trials, some difficulties. And then they come complaining to Moses. And even Moses himself questions. And then God comes in Exodus 6 and reveals the characteristics of Him known as Yahweh. The name Yahweh. I am and I will. The I am says I will and he gives Moses these terrific assurances. And Moses goes back to the people of Israel and he shares it with them and surely they'll fall on their face and worship God. But they did not. And the reason they didn't is because their circumstances kept them from listening to what Moses was sharing with them and it kept them from receiving the promises of the covenant. The key word in verse 9, by the way, Is the word there? T H E I R. They did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency. They were feeling sorry for themselves. They were fixated on their circumstances. They were torn apart by what was going on with them. They forgotten the things that God did in the past. They weren't interested in hearing about the things that God was going to do for them in the future. All they wanted to know was, this is about me. This is what's going on in my life. This is the hardship that I'm enduring. And they couldn't see God. They couldn't see the promises of God. They weren't going to experience the the blessings of God because they had turned away. And brothers and sisters, that's what happens to us. We ought to be able to look back at what God has done in our life and say, glory! And we ought to be able to look at the promises that God has given us throughout Scripture. And we ought to say, hallelujah! But we look at our circumstances here and now and we get caught up in our despondency and in the cruel bondage and in the situation that's going on in our life. And while Yahweh, the great I Am, wants to bless us with I will, we're settling for so much less. I found out yesterday that a good friend of mine from Tennessee had passed away. His name was Mark. Mark was one of the most intelligent and smartest people that I knew. Uh, he's one of these people that, and, and we have, we have you, I hope you, you have the opportunity to experience people like this in your life. They are steadfast. You ever know somebody that's steadfast in their faith? I mean, you could just tell. Even when nothing was going on in his life, he was steadfast. I mean, he was just, he was a rock. Four or five years ago, he was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a rare type of cancer and it was inoperable. Or I think it was inoperable, but they did so much. And he went through so many surgeries and he went through so much treatment. And I think the cancer came and it went. But I think throughout, they pretty much knew where this was heading. And Mark was a, a, a terrifically talented man. He was very, uh, uh, he had a very great personality. And Mark used the occurrence of his sickness and his illness to spread the gospel. And he would go to churches and he would go to youth camps and to youth groups and to church groups and to all over the place. He would go to FCA's and schools and sometimes just go to the schools. And he would share his story and he would share his hope and he would share his faith with people. Even though he had a diagnosis that was pretty hopeless. And Mark died yesterday. And my mother-in-law was telling me that one of the things that he had told his children, and this is just like him, they knew he was passing away. He came in to he had each one of his children come into him, and he shared a moment with them, and then he shared a moment with his wife, and then he spoke to them as a group, and he told them, "When you have my funeral, I don't want anybody wearing dark clothes, and I don't want to be wearing light clothes." And and listen to me, that was just so Mark. You know what Mark was doing? You know what Mark was doing? In the midst of knowing that his life was passing away, Mark was looking back at the blessings of God that God had given him. Primarily, the blessing that Jesus died on the cross for him. And that his hope was anchored, bam, bonded to that cross right there. He was looking back. You know what else Mark was doing? Mark was looking ahead. In a matter of days, I'm going to be kneeling at the feet and bowing before my Savior. I'm going to see my beloved God face to face. I'm looking ahead because this cancer doesn't define me. He didn't look at himself. He looked behind. He looked ahead. And because of that, he finished a well. He ran the race well. And he finished well. And today, today, Mark Tidwell is experiencing the culmination of that covenant with God as he's in glory. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. The reason some of you can't claim those I will statements, the reason some of you won't claim those I will statements is because you're too concerned about yourself. You don't understand, Troy. You don't know what I'm going through. You can't see... My life, you don't know me. You're right, I don't. But God does. But God does. Yahweh provided a covenant for the people of Israel. And when they were doubting, and when they were fearful, and when they were lost, He said, Look back, look ahead. And all they wanted to do was, quit, was look at themselves. Well, what are you going to do today? If you're a Christian, you can look back at what Jesus has done for you at Calvary. You can look back at your life and say, oh, I was a filthy sinner. I was a wretch. I was a horrible person. My life was dark and filthy and dirty, but I repented of my sins. I gave my life to God. He made me a new creature. He gave me a new heart with a new spirit and a new life. You can look back. You can look ahead if you're a Christian and say, praise God, I can... Know that I've got an eternal hope through Christ Jesus. I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have given unto Him against that day. You know that. You know that. But it could be that your circumstances are keeping you from experiencing a tremendous relationship with God because you just caught up in you're caught up in the grime. Get caught up in God look back, look ahead, and praise Him and move forward. For those of you who are here today and you haven't done that, you haven't surrendered your life to God, i got news for you. You're walking in darkness. You're walking as an, in an enemy, as an enemy of God. You're walking separated from Him. You're not bonded to Him, but you can be. But you can be. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you confess your sins today? Would you confess your sins? Would you surrender your right to your life and give it over to God? Guess what He'll do. Listen to me. He'll redeem you. He'll adopt you. He'll provide for you. And He'll get all the glory. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. Even as I preach this message, Lord... My heart is full with thankfulness and gratefulness for what you've done with a wretch like me. I look back at my life, and who I was, and I look at how you have saved me, redeemed me, adopted me. You've even called me into the ministry. as an added blessing, Lord. And I had the opportunity to teach your Word, minister to these folks. and Lord, my heart hurts for them because I know they're going through stuff I know there's things going on in their life and they get focused on their circumstances on their despondency on the cruel things that are going on around them Lord and they can't see you Father I pray that you'll give them the grace to be able to overcome that for those who are saved Lord I pray that you'll give them the grace to turn back to you to look at what you've done for them before and what you promised them for the future and to take hope and for the one who might be here this morning that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, allow them to adorn again, God, so that they would be willing to repent of their sin and turn to you by grace through faith. God, do your work and your bidding amongst us in this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.